The reason that our country is in the mess that it is in today is not because of the Republicans, it's not because of the Democrats. Let me tell you this, it's because of lame Christians. There is a reproach that comes with being a follower of Christ. We in America have tried to reshape the whole church so that it's palatable and likable in the culture. A church that is accepted well with the culture is usually not accepted well with Christ. The church is a fortress, and a fortress is strength. A fortress is might. Not only a center of defense, but a place of strategic planning and offense. Our God does not expect us to wait for the darkness to enclose around us. He expects us to take up His banner and fight the darkness with His light. You want to know what the biggest problem with America is? The wolf is this country. Gave in. Gave in to public pressure. Gave in to political correctness. One of the greatest curses this country has ever had to deal with is political correctness. Preparing the Christian to shine the light against the darkness of this world. Welcome to Our Mighty Fortress Podcast. I'm your host, Ron Miller, and welcome to the show. We have a very thought-provoking subject to cover today, but first, please go ahead and hit that follow or subscribe button on the podcast platform which you're listening to us upon. We have many social media platforms with all sorts of material that you can listen to and read. Be sure to check us out on our fan page on Facebook when you type in the search bar, the at symbol Mighty Fortress 313. That page is growing to around 4,500 followers. We can probably get up over 5,000. That'd be awesome. If, of course, you're listening through our YouTube page, that's a little smaller. It takes time to grow it, but that's okay. Be sure to click that like button and the subscribe button to the channel. You can also take a look at our website, OurMightyFortress.com. We have a host of media there. You can We have articles and videos and even a link to our merch store to help support the work. And, of course, if you do feel so motivated to donate to the work that we do here, feel free to do so through our website in the established PayPal link. By following and supporting the podcast, you let me know that you care about the subjects that we discuss. Today, I would like to talk about what seems to be the lack of judgment upon evil in this nation and in the world. I'm going to call it the how-could-they complex. This is actually very common. It's a very common response from those of us who our believers in Jesus Christ being the ruler and creator of this universe. We believe that he is all-powerful and he can deal with evil people around us. But why doesn't he do it sooner rather than later? When we have been wronged, we wish God would judge that person or persons quickly and even severely. I'm sure each of us can have a situation just roll off the top of our minds about this subject. You know, the book of Habakkuk in the Old Testament begins with a complaint that is set before God with some difficult questions. The nation of Israel at this particular time is in chaos, and the people, for the most part, have just gone their own ways, just away from God. The prophet Habakkuk is a righteous man who serves the Lord, but it troubles him about all of the evil prevailing around him. This question and answer 
from God provides some very valuable insight even in our own surroundings today and how God wants us to actually perceive things. The prophet's question is simply this, God, where are you? It's not much different from our cries today when we see evil prevail. We can look at the evil men or evil women or evil people in general and be like, how could they? This situation and question are a slippery slope into thinking that it's just not fair that evil is prevailing and the ones who are doing right are suffering. Let's analyze this story and see how it relates to us and all the evil that is around us today. With that introduction, let's get right into this. The prophet Habakkuk is a righteous man before God. And we can imply this because he is called out before God and he strives to walk with God. The nation of Israel this time has been in a state of decline for decades and things are getting worse and worse. The prophet notices that evil is gaining ground on the righteous and there is much violence in the land. You can look at the book of Habakkuk chapter 1 and the verse the first five verses say it all. It says this, quote, The burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee, unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold, ye among the heathen, and regard, and wonder marvelously. For I will work a work in your days, which ye will not believe, though it be told you. End quote. Now, with Habakkuk's reference to the violence in the land, this could very well include the righteous suffering at the hands of the wicked. What we do know about this time is that the leaders and rulers of the land had been abusing and robbing the people. God actually said that much uh, through his prophets, through multiple prophets. The gaps between the rich and the poor have been ever-growing, and the, re the rich have been stealing lands of the poor by violence. A few minor prophets uh, had spoken out about this very thing. For instance, the book of Micah, chapter 2, verses 1 through 2, says this, quote, Woe to them that devise iniquity and work evil upon their beds. When the morning is light, they practice it, because it is in the power of their hand. And they covet fields and take them by violence and houses and take them away. So they oppress a man in his house, even a man and his heritage. End quote. This is very important to understand. It is not talking about some sort of communistic or socialistic ideals like you may hear put forth today. It's talking about the people who are successful who turn around and thus oppress the people behind them. This is actually talked about more specifically in the New Testament where they're actually told 
the people with money, the people that God has blessed, be sure not to oppress those that are of lower class. And I don't mean class as in some sort of insult. It's just people who fare better than others. And and God tells those who are, uh, you know, very blessed as far as finances, because not everybody can handle money well. It happens. But God tells those who do have that type of hand to be generous and to also not oppress the poor specifically. This is not the thieving and stealing idealism of communism and socialism. Not even close to what God is talking about here. With the evil and the violence that was taking place in the land of Israel, the nature of Habakkuk's complaint is one that was already known by God. This just war on the prophet. And he essentially challenged God as if God didn't actually know what was going on. The statement in the first complaint by Habakkuk is that, how could evil prevail? The second complaint comes after God's response that he will use the Babylonians to punish the wicked. And the prophet has a problem with the wicked to be used to, ju to be judging the wicked. So that takes place in verse uh, 6 on where he talks about Babylon coming and destroying Judah eventually, and eventually they would. But when Habakkuk hears that, he's like, wait, wait, you're going to use the wicked to come and destroy us? We're, we're kind of amongst the wicked here. I mean, what are you doing, God? <laughs> you know, when you kind of hear that, it's very easy to come to the conclusion. So it's we have the blessing and privilege to read the Bible in its entirety and know how the story actually plays out. So when the judgment does come, eventually, God does protect his own. But when you hear that for the first time, you know, those kinds of issues may rise to your mind. The prophet looks around and sees his people, God's people, committing evil and wants God to step in. But when God says he will step in with the Babylonian army, the prophet says, wait, 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 wait. Don't use those wicked people. <laughs> God does respond that he will address the people's wickedness in time. The prophet has a bit of, you know, impatient feelings toward the situation. Very natural. God takes the time in the first response to describe the Babylonian army and how they will crush the wicked. One instance is in the first description of the Calvary and its comparison to three predators. The comparison he uses is with the leopard, the wolf, and the vulture. After Habakkuk makes his second complaint, as if he knows he's gone a bit too far in the verse, it says in uh, Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 1, I will stand upon my watch and set me upon the tower, and I will watch to see what he will say unto me, and what I shall answer when I am reproved. End quote. Habakkuk at this moment feels like, He's complained and taken too far of steps with God. And he was expecting to be reproved or even rebuked of God. Now, thankfully, God is merciful. God is very gracious. And he did not rebuke and reprove Habakkuk and how he thought. But you know, when fear and anxiety take over in the form of complaints, it's very easy to say in one's heart that it's not fair 
that God allows the wicked to prosper, and does righteous people that fear the Lord have to suffer? Let's analyze how this type of situation can apply to us today, and then we're going to move to the response of the prophet of God. The book of Habakkuk is a great story about even a prophet of God, somebody who's being used of God, who can come initially to the wrong conclusion, but then end up with the right conclusion becomes because he thinks about it through the lens and eyes of how God sees things. But let's take a look at our issue with evil. There is a phrase that enters our vocabulary that no one has to teach us to say. We learn this phrase very quickly as a child, and it can lead to many types of iniquity in our lives. That phrase is, it's not fair, or how could they? These phrases seem to be an innocent observation, but it leads to an overall view of life, and more importantly, how one actually views God. The phrase, it's not fair, actually stems back all the way to the fall of man in Genesis chapter 3. We find that the devil made the accusation that God was holding out on Eve uh, and that if she ate the fruit, she could become like God. Because of this situation, life is not fair due to the sin that is now involved and the curse of death. Given the current political landscape in our modern uh, atmosphere, we can start to think that very much, you know, in the same way that Habakkuk did. It's very tempting to think that it's not fair that evil seems to be prevailing and that righteousness has no voice in the nation. It's very easy to turn on the news and see evil leaders who seem to make a mockery of God's laws, a government an ever-growing populace even, a populace of people that is growing more and more desperately wicked every day. There is an element of truth to this, but it's not the conclusion. Much like Habakkuk, we can cry for judgment against the heathen, but the initial cry starts with us. We're to take the first stand in the house of the Lord and cry out for repentance. Then we're to cry out against the wickedness of this nation. This is not much different from the days of Jeremiah when he was despised for carrying out the word of the Lord. Now, you have to understand that when the prophet Jeremiah came along, this was at the time at which God was going to use Babylon in its entirety to annihilate uh, Judah and take us take them captive, destroy the city, absolutely annihilate uh, Jerusalem, lay it to ashes, and then take a captive back as slaves. He would leave the poor, uh, certain select of the poor in the land to basically you know, live amongst the ruins, even amongst that judgment that would take place in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was protected during that time. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, quote, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Stand in the gate of the Lord's house, and proclaim there this word, and say, Hear the word of the Lord, all ye Judah, that enter in at the gates of worship of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Amend your ways and your doings, and I will cause you to dwell in this place. End quote. What happened? 
Jeremiah went to the house of the Lord. He went to the temple or the church, sort of say, and he spoke out to believers that were there and say, you need to get right with the Lord. And if you do that, he will cause them to dwell in that place and protect them. But as we read the story, we know that that's not what happened. In fact, it seemed as though some of those who may have been believers had seemed to have teamed up with the unbelievers, even against Jeremiah. We as Christians have to clean our own house first before we try to cry out against any wickedness of the nation. God wants us to be clean and holy vessels before him so we can be his mouthpiece to the heathen. Now this is pretty interesting. You remember when the very first In-N-Out opened in Colorado? This happened in 2020. Fascinating. They waited 14 hours in line so they can get the first taste of an In-N-Out cheeseburger or hamburger. Don't you think about that? We got Thanksgiving coming up in a few weeks. The, the day that everybody is to be thankful. And yet, the very next day, Black Friday, where after a day of being thankful, we go to a day of not being thankful for what we have. And we go and practically kill each other here in America uh, for a TV or something. You know, People will wait for days even in line outside of a Best Buy or some other place like that for deals. You know what I find interesting? The heathen, and maybe even sometimes Christians, can sit outside for hours waiting for something that doesn't actually matter. Yet, how many Christians find it hard to sit through a church service? You know, the preaching in which could change their lives? Thought-provoking question. I mean, our national election... We put too much trust in the government. Boy, were we let down, right? Well, seems like the heathen are trying to destroy the system and of this nation. And, well, that's all part of the plan to come. I sure didn't predict the, the outcome of, you know, the last election. And I have suspicions that this current election coming up is not going to be any different. The wicked of the land seem to prevail. Have you ever thought, well... If I were president, what would I do and how would I change things? <laughs> I actually had this conversation not too long ago with some friends of mine. I came to the conclusion, if I was president, I probably wouldn't be president for very long because I would be assassinated or something. <laughs> Just kind of how that works out. You know, you try to stand for God and you do things and you do certain things in the name of liberty. Yeah, you're not going to last too long. <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? We are surely wise in our own minds. But are we fulfilling Christ's original command? Our Christianity in our churches has gotten so soft, and it's like salt that it's lost its savor. Jesus speaks specifically to this and the mission of the individual Christian. It may very well be that Let's just say this next election turns around. And let's just say that we get a righteous president to win the election. Okay, let's, you get four years, maybe eight years. Okay, what after that? 
what actually will happen. See, it's not the government's job to address. Now, the government can address certain evils that take place in the nation, but the hearts of men and women are changed by the church. It's changed by individual Christians. Even if you want to say that the, the last election, for instance, was stolen, and you want to say that, well, there's an X amount of votes that are illegitimate. Well, you have to understand that there are still tens of millions of people who voted for evil specifically and an evil that specifically stands against everything that God stands for. You have to understand that. It may very well be that we have actually crossed the line of no return here in America, but who knows? We'll see what the grace of God bestows upon us. But it should not surprise us that we're seeing scripture fulfilled before our eyes. Jesus commanded us to be the salt of the earth in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 16. And Jesus says, quote, you're the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under the foot of men. End quote. Look. Salt prevents decay and is a preservative. The heathen are not going to feel good about you proclaiming uh, the truth of God's word. But does that really matter how they feel? We have a job to do and we need to be more like Jeremiah, who will stand before kings and proclaim the word of God. Too many preachers are hiding as cowards in their churches when the government cracks down upon them. They think they're doing God a service when their church gets shut down by the state and they're some sort of martyr. It's absolutely pathetic. There's so many prophets of old that were bold as lions to stand before kings to proclaim the word of God. There will be evil in this world, but let it not be named among us Christians who were supposed to be the representation of the light of God to this world. One of the prevailing questions by atheists today is, where is God in the midst of all the evil in the world? While the philosophical issue of the will of man versus God is for another lesson, you can check out the two other podcasts I did on a different aspect or different aspects of the problem of evil. You can find that in podcast number six, With a Purpose, and podcast number five, Why is there suffering? For now... Let's, let's look at the right and wrong responses of man. The first thing we must understand is that evil has nothing to do with God, but everything to do with man. We see the wickedness of this world, whether it be the political leaders abusing the people, much like in the time of Habakkuk. Hey, look, today's culture is no different than thousands of years of history of mankind. How about the violence in the land? Sounds familiar? How about the destruction by political idealists or religious idealists like those of Islam or the former ISIS? Christians today can ask the same questions about God, about why will he not deal with the evils in the world? The book of 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 7 says this, it says, quote, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. End quote. Christ wants us to know that we are the light 
to this evil world? And how will they come to know the one true God if Christians don't go out and make a difference? Actually, the whole point of me starting this podcast was to really center in that, hey, the Lord is our mighty fortress. But a fortress is not just some place where you go to be protected, to be to hunker down and just be safe. No, no, no. A fortress is a staging point. Sure, against attacks, but also offensive tactics, going out into the world, taking the fight to the enemy. Too many Christians have forgotten that. We can tend to think that you know, there is the church, you know, the light, and bystanders are in some sort of gray area, and then there's evil, the darkness. But there's only two sides, and the distinction is only between those who are born of God and those who are the children of the devil. Understanding the framework of this world is going to help us have the right perspective. Through God's Son, Jesus Christ, we have been given victory over death and hell, Christians have been given the great opportunity to be on the front lines against evil and to make a difference in people's lives by seeing them born again. Life is not fair because of sin. But when we make this complaint towards God, we're saying that we know better than him and that, well, we would do things differently. We almost look at God as some sort of giant puppet master in the sky but God has given us a very powerful gift. The gift to be able to choose him rather than evil. And when we choose him, we can demonstrate to the world the glory of God. There will be justice, either in this life or the next. But the prophet Habakkuk, in his conclusion, states something very important about faith. Christians today have something very special to look forward to, which is the remedy to the world's situation. We are looking at God's remedy with evil. The prophet Habakkuk sets his complaints before God, and we find in chapter 2 and verse 1 that he's starting to understand where he went wrong with his complaints. In the prayer of Habakkuk to God in chapter 3, his faith is expressed in ways of God and looking forward uh, to the day of redemption, or as Christians know it, as the second coming of Christ. In chapter 3, verses 8 through 15, he describes the battle between God and nature and the enemies of God. He describes in other instances that are given in scripture, like the parting of the Red Sea, or the sun and moon stopping, like in the book of Jeremiah. This ultimately describes the power of God, but also the grace and restraint of God as well. This is possibly what Habakkuk came to an understanding on. Miracles, such as those described in Scripture, do not happen on a frequent occasion, but they do happen. When we read the Scripture, we can tend to forget that much time elapses before miracles take place, but one can tend to expect them from God on a regular basis. Also, we can't forget that miracles serve a greater purpose to the plan of God. God is not some magician to perform tricks for us, though we can sometimes treat him like that. God gave tremendous grace to Israel and its two kingdoms. This grace covered around 300 years of idolatry and rebellion and the wickedness of man. Eventually, the nation was cut off. 
but this does describe the patience of God. He sent prophets of various different professions and perspectives to try and reason with the people, but they would eventually not hear. Technically, grace itself is not fair, given that judgment is withheld from God for sins committed against him. We often tend to think about ourselves and what we deserve. And of course, this is the selfish human nature that's within us that we have to cast aside. Habakkuk in chapter 3 and verse 3 envisions the coming of the Lord in his glory and the prophet clings to when the Lord will set things right in the end permanently. The prophet stands amazed and finds comfort in the Lord through faith. The book of Habakkuk comes to a close with two very powerful verses. Verses 19 or 18 and 19 of chapter 3. It says, quote, Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he will make my feet like hinds feet, and he will make me to walk upon my hind places. End quote. Habakkuk makes very powerful statements at the end of the book that a Christian can glean from today. The picture given us is that a fig tree provides no fruit, or vines provide grapes, or field provides food, and no sheep in the field, he will rejoice in the Lord's anyways. He finds joy in the grace bestowed upon him and us and upon this world. The final statement is that the Lord is where we will find our strength, our security, and our joy. We can find such things as well, but we have to follow this example. I want to thank you for listening and be sure to follow us on the podcast media. Please take a look at our website, ourmightyfortress.com and subscribe for more updates. Stay tuned next time for more great content and remember to find your refuge and strength in our mighty fortress.